I, I've asked some of the different Together participants, why do you keep on coming back here? And I commonly hear that it's because I'm more hopeful. I'm less dismissive of people's opinions. And that is a starting point that is hopeful. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? Hi, listeners. This is Nancy Davis Coe, host of the Midlife Mixtape podcast and author of the book, The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time. Valentine's Day is coming, and if you're thinking, oh great, yet another holiday in captivity, may I suggest a way to make it stand out from every other Sunday since last March? Write your Valentine, your Galentine, or your Bacchanalentine a gratitude letter for all the ways they've improved your life and hand it over along with a copy of my book. You can find the Thank You Project in bookstores, online, or for audio download. And here's some incentive. If you buy the book and you're planning to give it to your Valentine, email me at dj at midlifemixtape.com. Tell me who you're giving the book to, and I'll mail you a personalized book plate to stick inside. Valentine's Day solved. Now let's get back to real romance, by which I mean rewatching Bridgerton. Hi, everyone, and happy 2021. Uh, You know, if you listened to episode 89 at the end of last year, that I needed a bit of personal time off after the death of my mom in December. And I just wanted to start off this episode and this year by thanking all of you who reached out to check in on me and express condolences. It um, It was a rough go, as frankly was appropriate. And even once I started feeling better, I really couldn't exhale until after Inauguration Day. But I found that once January 20th was behind me, I was actually feeling inspired and excited about the chance to talk to someone for the podcast, and in particular today's guest, Jay Christopher Collins. Chris is a native Texan and the founder of the Different Together Project at Glide Memorial Church in San Francisco. He's also the author of the new book, Mending Our Union, Healing Our Communities Through Courageous Conversations. Upon graduating from St. Edwards University in Austin, Texas, Chris was recognized with the Presidential Award, which is the highest honor given to students who have demonstrated excellence in leadership, academics, and service to the community. After 27 years in Texas, Chris moved to New York and earned his Master's of Public Administration and Public Policy Analysis at NYU's Robert F. Wagner Graduate School of Public Service, and he now lives in San Francisco with his wife. So let's settle in for a courageous conversation with Chris. Welcome to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast, Jay Christopher Collins. I'm so pleased to have you here today. Hi, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me. Well, listeners will know that I have taken a bit of a pause in doing this show. I lost my mom in December, and uh, if anybody's gone through a loss like that, you know that it takes a little while for you to feel like yourself again. I'm not quite back yet, but I was kind of trusting that the universe would put a guest in front of me that would make me want to put the headphones back on and have another conversation. So when I read about your book, Chris, I was like, that's it. That's, that is the energy I want to start 2021 with. And I'm excited to talk about your book, Mending Our Union, Healing Our Communities Through Courageous Conversations, because that is top of mind right now. But first, Chris, the question we always ask on this show, what was your first concert and what were the circumstances? My first concert was Willie Nelson. I love Willie. 
Willie Nelson at Stubbs Barbecue um, in Austin, Texas. It's a- You're from Austin, right? Yeah, I went to. I'm I'm from Texas. Went to uh, college in Austin, and Stubbs Barbecue is on uh, is in downtown, and uh, it's a great music venue. My dad, at a young age, introduced me to old country like Willie Nelson, Ernest Tubb, mm-hmm. uh, Johnny Cash. Uh, so I definitely grew up with that old steel guitar country sound. And uh, while I was in college at St. Edwards University in Austin. Um, Willie plays in Austin all the time. I called my dad and said, Hey, Willie's playing. Why don't you come down and we'll go see him. And he said, okay. And came down and we went to the concert together. It was the first time I had been around my, any of my parents with the smell of marijuana in the air. <laughs> How'd that go? It was, uh, it was good. It was fine. It was, <laughs> it was another step into adulthood. I think that's right. Um, Willie's great. I love one of the things I love about him is that he it's obviously a family employment situation. He's got all his family members up there playing with him. And I think it's so sweet. Like, I think that yeah, might be a big part of the reason he makes music. There is a, a, a strong sense of joy you can see in his eyes and his face when he's when he's up there. He's he's one of the great legends of our time. And um, everyone in Texas loves Willie. And somehow he's been able to be this progressive voice in a very conservative state supporting Dennis Kucinich and Bernie Sanders for president, yet uh, everyone across the political spectrum loves him. And he somehow figured out something that I think we need to tap into, something we can we can learn from. We're going to talk more about the way that people can bridge the gap that way. But uh, you do your work under the affiliation of Glide Memorial Church, which is a nationally recognized center for social justice, and it's dedicated to fighting systemic injustices, creating pathways out of poverty and crisis, and transforming lives. What I love about Glide, though, is it's the only church I know that has conducted a U2 Eucharist, which is based on the music of U2. Have you ever gone to that service? No, that was before my time, but I know that... Uh... That uh, Bono is a big fan of of Glide and uh, Cecil Williams and Janice Mercatani, the the founders, and I, I hear people uh, reflect on those days. But uh, uh, unfortunately, that was before I came around to Glide. Well, when concerts start again, when bands start touring again, uh, if U two comes to town, I'm guessing they'll come by Glide and do another U two grist. So your book came out in January. It's called Mending Our Union, Healing Our Communities Through Courageous Conversations. And it's based on the work that you've done through a program called Different Together. As I've mentioned, it's part of uh, part of the programming at Glide Memorial Church. So let's just start by hearing about Different Together. What is it and why did you decide to start it? I'll take you back to the days following the 2016 presidential election. Um, must you? Must you start that way? <laughs> Actually, it's better than the 2020 election. Go ahead. Donald Trump had just been elected, and um, I was shocked by the outcome and uh, also really realizing that I was out of touch with tens of millions of people, with Americans who who voted for him despite all of the red flags that came up during his campaign. And in those days following the election, I wanted to do something. I knew I needed to do something, but I didn't know what that was. And um, I was standing on the street in San Francisco one afternoon, and um, an older white woman approached me and said, kind of under her breath, I dare not say anything in this town, but I'm glad that he won. And I resisted the temptation to be dismissive, um, but I chose to go into this conversation. And I said, well, why is that? 
And she said that the, the election wasn't about race. It was the race issue isn't as bad as it was in the 1960s. And I said, well, you know, it's not really up to us as white people to, to decide whether it's better or worse. We need to listen to the people who experience it and see what they have to say. And the conversation went back and forth for just a few moments and we parted ways and we wished each other well. And it was really a pleasant conversation considering the, the topic. But I walked away realizing that there is power in these connections and that there is power in disagreement and sharing different perspectives and challenging each other. And I felt relieved that I was able to communicate with someone that I strongly disagreed with and wanted to do more of this. So from that interaction uh, was born the Different Together Project at Glide. And we've been meeting regularly with conservatives, both in the Bay Area and across the country since the beginning of 2017. And it has transformed me, the way that I view this topic, the way I view other people, as well as the people who who participate regularly in it. Now, I want to ground this in the fact that you are a straight cisgender white man, and I am a straight cisgender white woman. And we both operate from a baseline of privilege, even though we're here talking, you know, even as we're here talking about reconciliation and mending, what would you say to someone who says, these are two privileged white folks telling us how to fix disunity in this country when so much of the disunity is sowed by people who look just like us? Like, here comes some white folks again to tell us how to make things better. I would completely agree with that. I think Mm -hmm. that bridge building is a hobby for for people that are not discriminated against. Uh, it's it's a luxury to be able to do bridge building work mm-hmm. because I don't have as much at stake in these difficult conversations as say a, a black person does or uh, another person of color or a trans person or a gay person. Disagreements might hurt my ego, but they don't hurt my soul like it would be if someone were to challenge an an immutable characteristic of of my skin color or uh, who I love. So what I think that the bridge building work can do for white, straight, cisgender people is to develop the skills to to open our hearts to people who don't have the luxury or are more hesitant to join into bridge building conversations. And uh, I talk about in the book mending mending our union. I, I bring up the Plato's parable of the of the cave, where people are chained up in a cave and they can see shadows on the wall, and one person breaks free and actually it goes in out out of the cave and explores the world and sees what these images are these 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 things that were creating the the shadow on the wall and how that just completely uh, transforms you into seeing the world as it is rather than just seeing seeing the shadows, I, I challenge uh, the readers to evaluate whether whether we are seeing the shadows on the wall or we are breaking free from these narratives that we live and going out and exploring the world with curiosity and trying to uh, understand people and understand their stories, understand their values, how they came to the beliefs that they now hold. Um, so I think that uh, there's, there's a big opportunity for the, for the, white, straight, cisgender community to really begin to make some some headway on this. 
and not necessarily just an opportunity, but an obligation, I would, I would say, you know, I mean, the fact that we can treat it as a situation or a conversation that we opt into by choice says everything, you know, in reading the book, I mean, I've had this feeling before, but it just solidified this, this feeling for me that it's work that needs to be done precisely because it doesn't impact us as much. And I have to say, you know, coming into this, I obviously the 2016 election was terrible. I would say 2020 was even worse, even if we, you know, the outcome made me happy. I think part of why this book appealed to me is because I'm so, I do feel so angry. I do feel so angry at what I saw on January 6th. And the fact that there are so many people who are on the other side of this divide. And I know that anger isn't productive. I know anger isn't going to fix things. And in reading the book, I mean, it, I, I felt so skeptical, honestly, Chris, I was like, how could I have a conversation with somebody who voted to take away marriage rights for people who I care deeply about who happen to be gay or, you know, are elevating a leader who is clearly racist. And how, like, why do I have to have a conversation with that person? And after reading your book, I thought it's, it, first of all, it made me feel like, wow, maybe there could be a productive, maybe there could be change. And it also comes from a place of wanting to be a compassionate person and wanting to be someone who is willing to listen. And I think I've gotten worse at that in four years. I really do. I think I've been guilty of putting people in boxes and putting labels on people as much as anyone. And so I really appreciated that your book gave very actionable ways to unlock ourselves from those kinds of limitations and I would say your mom was right. It was good that you put in a lot of stories because <laughs> <laughs> in the in the book, Chris talks about how his mom read the first draft and she, you, and she said, you got to put in more stories of how it worked. But um, actually I had, Bruce Feiler was one of my guests uh, in episode 88 of the podcast. And this is what we talked about, how the proper response to a setback is a story and how telling a story about what we go through gives us power over it and kind of helps us through it. And I really felt like the stories were what made your book sing. So what I would want to know if I hadn't read the book yet is how does Different Together actually work? Like walk me through how the program works so that people can understand where this possibility is. I want to go back to just one one thing that that you said because um, that was a ramble. You can tell I haven't been on the <laughs> podcast for six weeks because I'm like, oh, words they all want to come out all at once. Sorry. <laughs> you mentioned uh, being angry, and that's certainly something that is felt universally. I think across the the political spectrum right now, and and one and something that I feel very strongly as well. Anger is a source of energy, and I think that we can tap into it for productive purposes. Uh, for me, practicing mindful self-compassion has uh, been transformative uh, in allowing me to tap into that. And uh, no longer am I a, a prisoner to the anger that previously simmered in my body. Uh, I now can use anger to fuel my desire to build peace and to make valuable change um, in my community. And not only does that connect me with other people of of goodwill, it, it grants me the opportunity to challenge beliefs that um, I oppose and do so in a way that leaves uh, leaves the conversation open for 
for future conversations. And that is how the process of a Different Together meeting works. We start every meeting going through a list of group agreements, like be sure to listen, speak respectfully. It's okay to show emotions, just not to do so in a way that diminishes somebody else. Speak from your own experience. Don't use um, broad generalizations of other people, things like that. Mm-hmm. And we focus on exploring a topic rather than debating a topic. I think that debate is a concept that humans have used for thousands of years to uh, talk about the tough questions of, of our day. But that has been the only thing that we have been using. I think that we are missing opportunities to explore deeper because debate is about a, about winners and losers. Debate is a performance. It's a it's a it's a tactical uh, game that we play where we're not necessarily exploring truth when we debate. We are looking to be victorious and win. And that winning might mean dismissing the truth. It also might mean character assassination. So Different Together works to uh, not debate, but to explore and to try to find a deeper sense of of truth. And we try to incorporate stories and and values to help uh, accomplish that goal. One of the stories in the book that really stuck with me was a conversation you talked about through the program where one of the small group uh, small groups that were meeting there was a trump supporter and there was a trans woman named meredith and on the surface of it that conversation did not go well the the small group came back to the larger the larger different together conversation and it didn't appear that the conservative person had really heard what Meredith was trying to share. Meredith felt like she had not been heard. And I guess what struck me was that the impact of that conversation wasn't immediate, but it might have been the first step toward real learning. And Meredith Meredith talked about the fact that she recognized through that conversation that she needed to present her story differently, that she could strengthen the way she shared her story so that other people could feel, could relate to it more. And I wondered whether the conservative guy, I think his name was Dan, right? Whether, mm-hmm. you know, the next time Dan meets a trans woman and he, I believe, said he had never had before, maybe next time he will think of this conversation he had with Meredith and be more open. And so it, it just re- reinforced for me how some of these, I mean, it's a long game. It has taken a long time for us to get this divided and these conversations, each one is just like a, a, a little ripple in the pond, but you don't know where that ripple can go and what good that ripple can do. And it, and so it's it's kind of a plea for patience and perseverance in having these tough conversations. Yes, I, I was concerned uh, about that conversation. And I go into uh, detail about the book of what was going on in my head as the moderator of this conversation, thinking, oh my God, this is You it. really this have is... to think on your feet. I mean, holy smokes. You're, yeah. I mean, that whole, everything's shifting around you as you're moderating all of these. It, it can be tough, but I think that we're all going through this and, and trying to learn how to do it. This is not something that we as a society have as a skill set. And I think that at that, at that moment, I, I told the group, <laughs> I don't really know what to do here, but the words of 
Dr. King came to mind. Uh, he, the words he wrote in uh, the letter from Birmingham jail, he said, I'm not afraid of the word tension. There is a tension that is, that is necessary for growth. And I reminded the group of, of that concept uh, that if we are meeting and we sense the tension, we see the tension, we pull back the curtain of our society, then that alone is doing the work. Mm-hmm. Now, whether we leave all feeling good and happy well, that's not necessarily going to, going to happen at all of these meetings because we're divided and we we have a lot of work to do. So I think that the courage that Meredith had to to share her story and to do so in an environment where she knew that she was not among like-minded people, I think is incredible. And I don't think that Meredith will necessarily see the impact that she has made. Right. Um, now, what Dan uh, experienced from that, I don't know. Whether that made a lasting impact or an impression on him, I don't know. And Meredith may never know. But it's about not necessarily what we can see that we're doing, but are we moving the ball? Are we are we advancing compassion? Are we are we are we at least pulling back the curtain and sitting with the tension that that exists in our society, or do we sweep it under the rug and ignore it like we have uh, for centuries? So right. I think what what Meredith did and and allowed us to do is to experience the discomfort that that she must live with every day. And what I liked about the book, Mending Our Union, so I talked about how the first half really uh, has a lot of stories about how this program has worked in practice. Also, how you started it when you were, (laughs) you kind of said, I'm going to do this thing. Oh, no, I just said I was going to do this thing, which I love. It's relatable. Like, yay, take a big step that you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, We all know that that can work out great. But the back half of the book has really practical steps, and you talk about four steps to healing division. Could you uh, talk just really quickly about what those four steps are? Well, I think that before we really start to think of building bridges, it really starts within. So the, the first couple of steps are, what are we doing for ourselves? What are we doing to build ourselves up to having conversations? Because the bridge building process doesn't start with going and talking to your brother or an uncle or uh, an aunt, someone you're close to or a best friend about the division. It, there's too much at stake in, in those in those conversations. So we start the work within and it can start by listening to podcasts that have uh, different perspectives, um, reading books on, on my uh, website. I, I list uh, many of the books that I've read to help me with that process of uh, opening up and and exploring different ideas that are not a part of my living experience. And then to get engaged with people to start practicing the skills of, of talking. But do that with strangers. There are organizations out there that are ready to help you do that, like Different Together or Living Room Conversations, Braver Angels, and then begin to bring these conversations face-to-face, not online, not through texting or social media, but where you can see a person, either through video or in person. Yeah, I love the idea of starting to have these difficult conversations with strangers because 
you know, you think of Thanksgiving and how fraught, I mean, maybe it was always fraught, but it's really bad in an election year. And to have had some of those practice conversations first so that you can go in with a sense of confidence and a sense of, I know how this might go. That's a relief. And I think would, you know, allow people to actually digest their Thanksgiving dinner instead of being sick about it the whole, the whole month of November. So it's January, you guys, we can work on this as we roll up and maybe we can even be there in person without masks. A girl can hope. One day. One One day. day. Yeah. Your website, jchristophercollins.com and the book both include great resource lists of books and podcasts. And, um, you know, I, I definitely skew towards never listening to conservative media. So there were some on there. I'm like, Hmm, I've never heard of that. I should check that out. So that is a challenge for myself to try to listen to some of those shows and read some of those. And also while listening, noticing what, what's happening in, in your body, noticing the reaction that your physical body has to hearing something that you find objectionable. That is, that is another one of these uh, aspects of preparing yourself for, for these conversations that uh, is important, that noticing. When you said the phrase, because this is how my brain is wired, I thought anger is an energy. Why, yes, that's a Public Image Limited song featuring Johnny Light, and that's how I feel. So, <laughs> In a moment, we're going to come back with J. Christopher Collins to talk about his own midlife reconciliation. But first, a break for our sponsor. Hey there. Join me this coming Thursday, February 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern Time for a Zoom conversation with my dear friend and past midlife mixtape guest, author K.J. Delantonia. I should say my dear friend, a best-selling New York Times author K.J., because her debut novel, The Chicken Sisters, which came out in December, went immediately to the top of the fiction bestseller list. Reese Witherspoon selected it for her book club the same month. I am pretty sure Reese also optioned it for a movie, but that's a question I'm going to ask KJ this Thursday. So thanks to A Great Good Place for Books here in Oakland, I'll be interviewing KJ via Zoom, and you can join in for free wherever you're sitting on the globe. Look for the link to the event on the Events tab on the Midlife Mixtape Facebook page, or go to Great Good Place for Books, that's ggpbooks.com, as in Great Good Place for Books, ggpbooks.com, forward slash event. Three generations, two chicken shacks, one recipe for disaster. Book list called The Chicken Sisters, an utter delight from start to finish. And I hope you'll tune in for my discussion with KJ on Thursday, February 4th at 6 p.m. Pacific. We're back with J. Christopher Collins, author of Mending Our Union, Healing Our Communities Through Courageous Conversations. And I want to talk to you, Chris, about your own midlife reconciliation. And by that, I mean... I was struck in reading the book by the fact that you're old enough to have spent formative time on both sides of the political divide. You were a young Texas Republican working for Rick Perry, and then later you were a slightly older Democrat working for House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. And I'm wondering how you think that being what we call in the years between being hip and breaking one, how that made it possible for you to reimagine yourself as a reconciliation activist, because I'm guessing that's a new job title. I don't think that you know, there's not a huge section on LinkedIn for reconciliation activist job listings. I, I don't know anyone else that has that title. I, uh, I think that's that's a good that's a good observation. Trademark. Um, starting something new, I think, is surrounded by, for me, the strong sense of uh, failure. Um, it's so for me, it's not about what um, I can accomplish in my life. It's 
It's about how far I can carry the ball down the field before it's time to pass it off uh, to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, we may never see the fruits of our labor labor when it comes to something like healing division. And in Mending Our Union, I talk about how it may take hundreds of years for this process to bear fruit. You talk about the Sri Lankan example, which I thought was so interesting. Do you mind sharing that? There is a Saradova movement in, in Sri Lanka that, that put together a 500-year peace plan. And the leader of this movement said, it took 500 years for us to become mired in a bloody civil war. And it's going to take at least that much time to come out of it. And that plan, the 500-year peace plan, talks about economic development. It talks about cross-cultural conversations. Uh, and I look at the United States and how long it has taken for us to get to be this divided. So maybe we need our own 500-year peace plan. And that sounds really daunting, but maybe we are 150 years into it from the beginning of Reconstruction after our own civil war. Mm -hmm. And yes, the the pendulum has, has swung back and forth, and sometimes it feels like we're going backwards. But it's about, in my lifetime... How much can I do to advance the ball, to, to move the cause down the field? Not to, whenever I'm in my 70s or 80s, look back and say, wow, look, we did it. But getting it to the point where it's ready to pass off to the next generation. So with that perspective, it, it helps me to reassess what I can do in my lifetime to promote healing and promote peace. And that if we uh, stick with this work, we, we may make a, a meaningful impact. It's almost like being in midlife, you have a little bit more realistic goal setting. You know that you're not, you know, when you're in your 20s and you think everything is open, every avenue is open, I can do everything I want to do. And then by the time you've, you've made it to your 40s and 50s and you're banged up a little bit, you're like, I'm going to make some progress and I'm going to feel good about that. And I'm probably not getting to the finish line, but still... It's progress. Yes. Would you say that's true? Yes. And um, I also say, say in the book that I think we can see that Dr. King uh, in his last speech knew that he was not going to see the, the fruits of his labor. I think that he knew that the end was near for him. And yet he kept on doing what he knew he needed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, a friend of mine was recently talking about hope. Uh, He was referring to Amanda Gorman's speech at the inauguration, which that elevated me. That was my church service for the month of January. But he was talking about how hope, when it's expressed by young people, is especially powerful. And I wondered if you think midlife hope has any special magic. So is there anything special about people in their 40s and 50s taking a run at this work of mending our communities and believing that that's possible, that has anything kind of magical to it. Because we could be jaded. Yes. I I, I do hear a lot of jaded commentary around this work from people at at midlife. Like, what is the point of all of this? Like, there's, I'm not talking to those people. There's people from both sides of the, of the spectrum. And I think that the reason to do it is to 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 be face to face with these opinions and and beliefs that we find objectionable puts a human face to it and whenever there's a human face to it it's diff- we we psychologically experience that differently than whenever we read it on a page or hear someone 
an elected official speak of it on TV. Having one-on-one personal connection with that connects us as humans, and it makes us more likely to uh, see that person as a human rather than an idiot or uh, an enemy. And that's not a solution. That's the beginning of a process. And I think that it awakens this sense of hope in people, the, a, a youthful sense of hope that that something something big is possible with this. And I, I've asked some of the different Together participants, why do you keep on coming back here? And I commonly hear that it's because I'm more hopeful. I'm less dismissive of people's opinions. And that is a starting point that is hopeful. That's great. I, if you guys are all full up on hope in January 2021, good on you. But if not, <laughs> Chris, where can people find your book and become engaged in the work that you're promoting? Mending Our Union is is available just about anywhere you can buy a book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, bookshop.org, if you want to go the local bookstore route. We love our local bookstores. Just call them up and tell them to order it. Different Together, we meet monthly online. Uh, the coronavirus has taken us uh, to Zoom, which is something we we wanted to do uh, before the coronavirus. It just forced our hand to do it. Now we can include anybody across the the country who who wants to do this work. Sign up by uh, going to glide.org slash different together, or just sending me an email at collinsjchristopher at gmail.com. And I'll include links to all of these in the show notes so you guys can check it out there as well. So Chris, we always ask one last question. What one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you, or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself? To be curious. I look at how much good has come in my life because of curiosity, the the constant drive to learn, to grow, and to absorb knowledge. How curiosity also fuels the desire to heal division, uh, to learn about someone else's story. And one of my favorite quotes from Eleanor Roosevelt is, do one thing every day that scares you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started Different Together. I, I've written Mending Our Union. Behind this, there is a lot of fear, and uh, maybe something you know about. You've written a book. You've started a podcast. These are these are it's terrifying. Uh, it is. We're but crazy. It, what were we thinking? <laughs> and uh, at, at, at each phase, I found that my fears were unfounded, uh, and then it's then it's on to the next stage of fears, and then those fears are unfounded. And each time, my my comfort zone increases, and that has uh, awakened a, a sense of endless possibility. Um, so, uh, if, if we, I just feel if we approach life with curiosity and leaning into discomfort and fear, it's pretty amazing what, what, uh, what can happen in our lives. And if only we'd all known that earlier, right? Yes. I could have, uh, used this advice a few years ago. (laughs) I know, but this is, that's, this is the good stuff about getting older. You get, you get the keys to the kingdom of wisdom, right? That's absolutely true. Well, J. Christopher Collins, author of Mending Our Union, Healing Our Communities Through Courageous Conversations. You guys can find it online at your local bookstores. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's really important work. And I hope as we go into 2021, we all recognize the steps that we can take to advance the ball down the field for a more just and fair society and a less stressful next presidential election. That's just me. That's my wish. Thank you so much for being on the show, Chris. Thank you, Nancy. I've really enjoyed this. 
hope Chris's encouragement to stay curious resonates with you. We can all play a part, large or small, in moving the ball down the field and fixing all the things that are broke in this country. And I would say it's not just that we can, but we're obligated to. I hope this conversation at least makes you hopeful that those small healing conversations might add up over time. Speaking of healing conversations, I wondered if you listeners ever think, well, after a year of the pandemic, that's it. I'm ruined for public circulation. Is that just me? I really think that sometimes. My entire wardrobe these days is adult onesies from The Gap. And then over that, I put a long sweater like B. Arthur on Maud. So, I mean, it's not my best look. And yet I go out in public like that all the time with my masks because I figure nobody knows who I am anyway. But I really, I mean, in all seriousness, I wonder sometimes if we've been at this shelter in place so long that we may have gotten out of the habit of interacting even with the people we know and love. So I'm excited to talk to my guest for the next show, Laura Tremaine, who's written a book called Share Your Stuff, 10 Questions to Take Your Friendship to the Next Level. I need some new questions for my friends besides, do you know whether CVS got a restock of toilet paper? Do you have a mask that you don't hate? What is time? Join me next time, and Laura and I will talk about what questions we can ask that will make us sound functional again. And until then, stay healthy. I don't want to be this, don't want to be that, don't want to give up, I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means, whatever you want from me, I want to be. Don't want to be this, don't want to be that, don't want to give up, I want to give back. I want to be free by whatever means, whatever you want from me, I want to be, be, be. I want to be, I want to be free by whatever means.